There'd been departmental resistance to his over-exercise of presidential power, words to the effect that internal revenue should not be used as a political weapon, but his directive had been carried out. Mellon had claimed a $139,000 refund. The government found that he owed $3,089,000. Charges of tax evasion were brought, but a grand jury had declined to indict. Undaunted, Roosevelt ordered the Justice Department to proceed civilly, and a trial was held in the Board of Tax Appeals, involving fourteen months of testimony and evidence. It had ended only a few weeks ago. They occupied the Oval Study on the second floor, his favorite spot in the White House to conduct business. It had an overcrowded, lived-in look from packed bookcases, ship models, and a confusion of paper piled everywhere. A fire raged in the hearth. He'd abandoned his wheelchair and sat on the sofa, Attorney General Homer Cummings beside him. Accompanying Mellon was David Finlay, a close associate of the former secretary. He and Cummings read Mellon's offering. It laid out a proposal for the establishment of an art museum to be located on the National Mall, which Mellon would erect at his own expense. The building not only would become a repository for Mellon's own massive collection, it would also accommodate future acquisitions. To be called the National Gallery of Art. Not the Andrew W. Mellon Gallery, he asked. I do not want my name publicly associated with the building. He appraised his visitor, who sat ramrod straight, head held high, not a muscle moving, as if presidents still bowed to his every whim. He'd always wondered why three would choose the same man for their cabinet. He could understand the first, Harding, a weak and inept fool, and maybe even the second, Coolidge, who'd finished out the term after Harding had the good sense to die two years into office. But in 1924, when Coolidge earned his own four years, why not select a new Treasury Secretary? That made sense. Every president did. Then Hoover repeated the mistake, reappointing Mellon in 1929, only to finally be rid of him three years later. He said, It states here that the gallery will be managed by a private board of nine trustees, five appointed by you. It was my understanding that this institution would be administered by the Smithsonian. It shall be. But I want the gallery's internal operation to be wholly independent of the government, as the Smithsonian currently enjoys. That point is non-negotiable. He glanced at his attorney general, who nodded his assent. Mellon's offer had first been made a year ago. The building would cost between eight and nine million dollars. Mellon's own art collection, valued at twenty million dollars, would become its nucleus. Other quality works would also be acquired and displayed, the idea being that Washington, D.C. might become one of the principal art capitals of the world. Mellon would endow the institution with five million dollars, 
the income from which would be used to pay the salaries of the top administrators and to acquire more works. The government would perpetually pay for building maintenance and upkeep. There had been months of behind-the-scenes negotiations to iron out the details, all leading up to this final gathering. Attorney General Cummings had kept him informed, but there'd been little give and take. Just as in business, in art, Mellon drove a hard bargain. One point was still troublesome, though. You have specified, he said, that all of the funds for the building and for the art will come from your charitable trust. Yet it is this trust that we contend owes the people of this country over three million dollars in back taxes. Mellon's stone features never flinched. If you want the money, that's...